Hey, welcome to this episode of While We Were Working. It's the show that helps you become a better people leader. It's episode 106 for those of you who are keeping track. And of course, this looks a little different today. I am in my typical studio, but we have an in-person guest who's joining us. Not a guest, but a member of the team. We've got our retreat this week, so we're covering two topics uh, so that we can have the holidays off. And so, Summer, glad you're here. Thanks, Joey. It's really exciting to be here in Baltimore. It's a little chillier than California, but it's wonderful to be here with the team and having the opportunity to work together in person and have our pod in person, too. Yeah, Summer, I don't know what happened, but you you get here and we have, you know, snow for the first time all year. So I don't know if you brought the snow or or if the snow was ready to see you. But I'm glad you're here. Glad the team is here. We got to do our reviews. We got to bond, do some fun activities, uh, think about the, the next year. And uh, it's been a it's been a fun, fun time. So we've got a, a pretty cool show today. We are talking about Fisher Phillips Labor Board highlights uh, the priorities for the new year. So five key takeaways for employers and then for our consultants corner we have a comment that says an employee was given a performance improvement plan and then discloses that they have a medical condition. How do you handle the sensitive situation? So that sounds pretty sensitive to me, uh, but you're in the right place. I think with our expertise uh, combined, we'll help this uh, member of our community think through some thoughtful, thoughtful ways to approach this. So Without further ado, maybe we'll go into our while we were working. So, Summer, do you want to set that up? You know, I'd always love to. And thanks, Joey, and thanks, everybody, for joining us today. The while we were working segment is where Joey and I scour the web. We read news articles, blogs, really anything that we can get our hands on. And we work to create a very short list of an interesting topic for us to chat about on the show that we feel will add value to your day. And well, you probably missed it because you were so busy working. So without further ado, uh, we're going to talk about the Fisher Phillips article that came out. This was late November. And they were talking about the labor board highlight um, of the priorities for the new year. And I think we've covered a couple of these on prior pods. But, you know, it's the end of the year. We're thinking about planning for next year. And what our priorities should be. And I thought, gosh, this would be a really great opportunity to cover these super high level and just give everybody something to think about as they're getting ready for the new year. Yeah, it's never too uh, too early to think about your future. And if you are out of compliance already, <laughs> no better time to fix your compliance than today. Uh, kind of like the saying goes in investing, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 40 years ago. The best time to plan it now is today. So, you know, you should always be carving out time to think about appliances and the rules of the road that govern your place of work, that govern where your employees live and work, and uh, all the things that, that relate to to business because it can slow your, your growth. It can hinder progress. Uh, if the government comes knocking on your door for, for these things. So I'll start with the first one here of the five. 
And uh, it looks like there's a spotlight on work rules. And so, um, Summer, what are your what are your thoughts on this NLRB case, the stereocycle decision? Can you get some context around that one? I sure can. We touched on this. Uh, if you didn't catch our original pod, we we touched on this right when it came out because it's a really big deal um, for all companies who have policies and handbooks. And to revisit that topic just you know, very briefly, it's essentially that there is a new standard that employers have to abide by, and that is uh, ensuring that their policies, um, including their handbooks, do not reasonably imply or uh, create, they do not... I think I know where you're going, because with, with HR, we try to say things like... <laughs> The specific way, and this is what the the lawyers are telling us here in the article, right? It says that um, when you have your rules and guidelines in your handbooks, you've got to ensure that they are, the key word here is narrowly tailored. And so you have to look at the fact that um, many people when they, or many companies, when they create their handbooks, they may look to an industry website or may go to Google or may ask peers. Or even, God forbid, uh, a manager who used to work at one place says, oh, let me go pull my old employee handbook from this other place. What what these uh, lawyers at Fisher Phillips are saying is that when you think about building your handbook, it, it can't just be a carbon copy of someone else's context. It has to be the context for your organization. That's not just the uh, handbook, but it's also the workplace policies that you have. So um, you can listen to pods like ours. You can read articles and Forbes, Harvard Business Review, HR Dive, all of the sources that we love and consume, right, as well. But when it comes to actually putting things together for your business, you've got to take it one to two, maybe even 20 steps further to say, okay, we understand what best practices are, but what does that mean for our business? What does that mean for our business as it relates to the street address of our headquarters, the street address of where employees lay their head at night, what it means to the jurisdiction that we're in or the industry that we're in? So, um, you know, obviously shameless promotion, you can work with us to to get that tailoring. But with the crackdown of um, the, the National Labor Relations Board, and some of the things that they're seeing, you know, Fisher Phillips is really advising that you take the responsible measures to, and it's their words, ensure that things are narrowly tailored to your business, whether you are in one location or multi-state, which uh, we also support as well. Um, but but what are your what are your thoughts on on these things here uh, for this for this first one, Summer? Yes, I think, thanks, Joey. I think the important piece of that is reviewing your policies and handbooks to ensure that the language does not uh, reasonably interfere with team members' Section 7 rights. And when we review policies today, we may read them and say, well, of course, that's not what we meant. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, we would never uh, want to limit a team member's Section 7 rights. But if it isn't so narrowly written 
to be specific enough um, for you know that reasonable um, interpretation, then that's that's where they're coming in and saying they need to be rewritten. They need to be specific. So I think that's going to be on everybody's to-do list if it isn't already. Yeah. And for those of you who are not uh, HR people like us, you know, we're HR people. We know what Section 7 is, right? Uh, Section 7 for the National Labor Relations Board is effectively um, the right of a union represented employee upon request to have their representative present during an interview uh, or any other sort of uh, process. Um, it's it's a part of the of the Weingartner rights for the, the NLRB. So so effectively, this one snapshot here with Stericycle, which is the company in question, bubbled up to taking a look at all of your processes, whether you are in a union environment or not. And just to say, hey, in 2024, Get your labor laws tight, get your processes tight, get your um, workplace uh, documentation right. Um, Speaking of workplace documentation, Summer, the other piece here is limitations on non-competes, which is going to shake a lot of folks up, possibly even in the startup sector where many startups rise and fall on their ability to leverage proprietary data for their success. Um, but what's going on with 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 thought competes? Well, it's been happening for some time, but uh, there's been increased limitations on non competes. And you know, if you really get to the root of this, it's because if you think about the impact that a non compete has, it does, by nature of the agreement itself, limit the opportunities that individuals who sign them have after they leave their current company's employment. And so there's been a lot of pushback on this and um, there's increased, as I mentioned, limitations on non-compete agreements. And it's primarily because they do have an impact on those low and middle wage earners. It does extremely limit their opportunities um, to go out and get better paying jobs or, you know, explore other types of opportunities in their careers. So I think uh, from a practical standpoint, some of the things that companies would want to be doing, again, if they aren't already, is first taking a look at any existing non-competes they have, understanding any sort of risks that are associated with uh, where they conduct business and, you know, working with an HR consulting firm or even legal counsel to ensure that they're in compliance. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to think about the non-competes that you uh, are planning to write, but also one of the practical tips that's in this blog here is to think about the ones that you've already written and assigned to folks and maybe even revisiting those to see if they are still uh, applicable uh, if there needs to be any communication at, at all about the applicability or uh, whether they apply or not to the uh, employees who signed them uh, upon their departure. Um, you know, this, it, it's one of those things where it's a catch, it's a double-edged sword, I guess is a better way to say it in the sense that, um, 
you know, giving employee freedom is is great uh, for someone to be able to pursue an opportunity and not feel like, oh, I have restricted it in any way from showing up and giving my best at uh, my new employer. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's tricky because, yeah, they could go and share, uh, you know, thoughts or ideas or um, strategies that maybe uh, were public, um, but also private, or maybe products that were on a roadmap that um, weren't fully developed yet, and they could go and build it. I think that was one of the things about uh, about uh, folks who got. I think it was folks who got laid off from Meta going over to X and they're just being this whole big deal about, well, our software developers can go and take the features from their old, uh, you know, employer. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a sticky, sticky thing there. And, um, my only guidance to that is just to, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're abiding by the law and that you aren't, uh, holding your employees back uh, when it's their time to go. Uh, so that one's a tough one, but, you know, it's a, it's a trend and we need to pay attention to it because the law is advancing there. Do you have any thoughts on, on non-competes? No, I, I think we've covered it and uh, we have perhaps three others that we're going to try to get through before we move on over to Consultants Corner. So... Yep. How about we keep going? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, I just did a TEDx talk on this. Uh, third one is planning for AI advancements. And uh, General Counsel Bruzzi, who's uh, quoted heavily in this, says uh, AI is something that we're all going to have to grapple with. Mm-hmm. And I'd agree. You know, it's it's a technology that's going to change the way all of us uh, think about, complete, or imagine uh, the way we do business. And so one thing it says is back in October, 2022, G- GC Abruzio issued a memo saying that agency investigators should target workplace surveillance and algorithmic management technologies that have a tendency to interfere with employees protected workplace activity. So what this says to me, Summer, I don't know about you, other than uh, there's some, there's some meddling bosses out there. <laughs> But uh, what it says to me is that, you know, the government is increasingly aware of the role that AI is being used in business for good and for for bad or maybe, uh, you know, ways that might help a company more than it helps the employees or ways that could disadvantage the employee. And so they're aware of that. And if you are utilizing AI in your workplace, it'd be a good idea to say, maybe take an evaluation or audit of uh, the tech stack that you're using and uh, determine whether or not your tech stack might come under issue with the uh, NLRB. Um, You know, I'm thinking of like uh, software that tracks keyboard strokes, software that tracks mouse activity, software that tracks uh, geolocation, of where people are logging in and logging out. Um, you want to make sure that you can defend your use of the softwares or find a transition plan to to migrate away from them. That's just so wild to me, Joey. I mean, technology has advanced so quickly <laughs> yeah. that I, I'm 
usually pretty good at trying to anticipate like, okay, how could something potentially be used for good and not for good? And I have to say, this didn't even cross my mind, but I, I do think now hearing you speak about it, it is indeed um, a, a legitimate concern. And it's, I think it's something that it's, it's great that it's being talked about now uh, so that, you know, any companies that may have been thinking that that was a path that they were going to go down, they know yeah. that's a path that's going to get them in trouble, right? And that has been exactly what we've talked about for the past year or so is that we, this is new territory and this is a place where we haven't seen, you know, certain things navigate through the legal system to know truly how to stay on the right side of the law. So I think it's great that they're giving some of this guidance now uh, so that hopefully <laughs> yeah. most companies don't have to find out the hard way. Yeah, yeah. And and um, speaking of finding out the hard way, I'll, I'll do a, a hard transition into the, this next piece just so we can keep things rolling. Because I think we, we've, we've covered AI in many of our conversations here on the on the show. So there's there's a, a rich library of, of shows you can go back and, and hear Summer's awesome thoughts. And my thoughts are all right. But, you know, Summer, I always listen to these again and I'm like, man, I, yeah, Summer, that was, that was a spot on. Uh, but but uh, the next one from Fisher Phillips is responding to union recognition demands. And so uh, the idea here being to pay attention to your employee relations uh feedback from your from your team because if there's a request to start a union you have to oblige the conversation you have to pay attention and we're seeing unions pop up in companies that i never thought i'd see i never thought i'd see a starbucks union what uh but here we are in uh in in this current time where many organizations are subject to to unit activity. So, so pay attention, pay attention. There was a, a court case mentioned though, Summer. What uh, what was that one? Uh, you want to talk about the construction materials? It says the board's August 25 decision in the CMEX construction materials specific LLC created a new framework for determining when employers are required to bargain with unions without a representation election. This decision was yet another step taken by the board to reverse the decline in union membership and make it easier for unions to add members. In a follow-up move, GC Abruzzo issued a guidance memo on November 2nd that provides some further structure to this new framework and imposes heavy burdens, my emphasis on them, Heavy burdens on employers faced with bargaining orders in response to unfair labor practice charges. So uh, there's a court case from August 25th and follow-up guidance from the NLRB. Mm -hmm. And it all is trending in the direction of get your employee relations affairs squared away so that uh, if it, or if employees want to unionize or they want their representatives at the table, <laughs> then uh, you've got to, you've got to pay attention. Uh, I'll let you cover the last one, Summer, uh, which is sharing, sharing information. 
Yeah. So thanks for covering that court case because I was like searching the depths of my memory. Uh, but uh, thanks for that. And, and the last one that we'll talk about is uh, the sharing of information and really the preparation that employers uh, should uh, brace for that there's increased enforcement between government agencies. And um, just recently, I think it was late October, the NLRB uh, and OSHA, um, they actually entered into an agreement to enhance information sharing, um, training, outreach, and education. So I think this is, um, you know, this is a good step um, in, in terms of the collaboration, but I think it also should put employers on alert that, you know, increased enforcement efforts mean if you don't have things in good order now, now is the time to start, you know, taking those uh, appropriate steps to get in a better place. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So this is, this is effectively become the, the, the five trends, uh, show, but we want to, we want to carve out some room for us to talk about consultants corner, which if you ever have a question or thought or something you want us to cover on the show, you can reach out to us at hello at jumpstart-hr.com and we'd be happy to cover your topic on our show. Uh, let's go though to today's topic and I'll, I'll read it to you. This one comes in. It says, uh, an employee was given a performance improvement plan and then discloses that they have a medical condition. I'm just going to assume here that the medical uh, condition somehow in some way impacts their work performance. Uh, so so we'll, leave, we'll go with that. Uh, how do you handle this sensitive situation? So Summer, uh, I'll let you go first. Well, definitely a sensitive situation. I, I think it's never fun um, and it's never easy when you have to deliver a performance plan. But certainly when you get to that point, it's really an opportunity to share with a team member that there are certain aspects of their job that they're not quite meeting those expectations. And I think that we typically associate those conversations as being, you know, punitive and extremely negative. And yes, they probably don't feel great, but I also think that it's all about the delivery and really emphasizing that like and I wouldn't say this to a team member, but like as an HR pro, Joey, I think to myself, like, hey, if we really wanted you gone, like we would just have you gone. Right. But we're having these conversations because we see there's potential and we want to share the information that employees need and deserve yep. in order to improve if they're willing and able to do so. Yeah. And, and that's that's to me, the whole goal of a PIP is that that willing and able uh, giving the employee an opportunity to meet the goals uh, that are set, and I, I think about, I think about, um, with regard to medical conditions, you've got to first go back and say, well, what am I obligated to um, accommodate? So you know, employers of all sizes and in different locations, there are rules um, that are given to us by the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. And it says uh, federally that uh, employers of a certain size have to make what are called reasonable accommodations 
if an employee has a, uh, a, con- a condition, an illness, an ailment, and whether it be mental, whether it be physical, whether it be uh, chronic. So like, it's like, uh, I, uh, it'll be a chronic thing. Oh, uh, you know, I've got, a, I had a heart attack, yeah, but I'm ready to go back to work. A doctor cleared me, but these accommodations take place. Or if it's something intermittent, that's like, hey, uh, I can work, but I have physical therapy uh, every Thursday, so I have to leave at three o'clock instead of five o'clock. Right. So you've got to know what uh, you, you've got to know what accommodations you are responsible for making um, at the federal level. But then also there are locations like uh, New York City, which is something that I was talking with a, a colleague of ours about uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were working with a, a group and in New York City, they say if you have four employees and you have a revenue over a million dollars, you have to make accommodations for employees. But the federal employee headcount is way larger than four. So you've got to know your local uh, accommodations rules, because if you don't, you can get in some, some sticky trouble. So I like to start there and say, well, what, what rules are we required to, to follow? Uh, and then from there, you have to strategize your game plan, uh, uh, next steps. And, uh, what are some of those, those next steps to, to consider? Thanks Joey for that. And I think it all really starts with a conversation with the team member, Um, Of course, first to discuss the PIP, right, the performance improvement plan, uh, but then also hear what the employee is willing to share with you in regards to how um, they have a medical condition that they believe has uh, resulted in some of these performance deficiencies. And, you know, during that conversation, it it really would lead you to a place where um, whether they officially um, request to go through the accommodation process or not, I think it's in the best interest to pursue it so that there is some sort of paper trail that we recognized an individual uh, had a need. We did our due diligence and either it resulted in an accommodation or it didn't. But either way, uh, you have something to show that you recognize those conversations needed to be had. And in most instances, it typically involves providing the team member with their job description, um, also um, an accommodation form. I mean, there's lots of samples online. Uh, we've created them for organizations as well. And they take this to their doctor and they say, hey, I'm having some challenges at work. Um, here's my job description. They'll talk about uh, the limitations of the medical condition and the job and uh, potentially even, you know, during uh, that session, come up with a handful of ideas of what might be realistic for a job modification. And then the team member brings that back, that documentation from the doctor um, to meet with the employer and talk about possible options. And then from there, it's really, uh, you know, having that kind of final conversation with the team member at that at that point to determine what what is reasonable to accommodate. Yeah, and, and reasonable, <laughs> it's one of those legal words that's like like wide open, open to interpretation, right? But yes. 
But uh, I I would argue that reasonable uh, could be defined as uh, although it inconveniences an employer, it doesn't force the employer to operate at a significant, again, one of those big open words, right? A significant deficit or significant detriment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if an employee needs to leave two hours early once every two weeks to go to physical therapy, is that going to really burden your business? Probably not. Uh, but if there is an extended period of leave that's required after maybe their, uh, you know, uh, disability period is over or or something where you are significantly uh, at a disadvantage by uh, carrying the employee on your on your active payroll and uh, requiring them to fill roles that maybe someone else could step in and, and be better suited for, then that's a conversation that you have with who? You have it with Jumpstart. You have it with Jumpstart. Uh, and of course, uh, you might want to bring in a, a labor attorney as well. Um, but but you've got to make sure that you are, to Summer's point, you know, documenting everything. It doesn't hurt in this instance. Uh, if, if you are trying to make good faith efforts and you want to show that, hey, we walked this person through this PIP and uh, we plan to restore them if, if, uh, if they're able to, to do the work that's required. Uh, you know, we are unable to lower the bar of our expectations, but we are able to raise the level of accommodations that we can provide. Uh, you would just need to take that medical condition into consideration just to say, okay, all right, in light of this PIP, maybe it's not a six week PIP, maybe it's an eight week PIP. And we take some time to figure out how we can support you in, in your medical condition. But uh, again, it all goes back to accommodations that are that are reasonable uh, and those accommodations may be financial they may be uh you know workplace design related right so someone might say hey i have uh severe anxiety and so instead of you know working in an open bullpen i need to work in a, a enclosed space for most of my work day so i need to go work in a meeting room right like give them the meeting room with it if they need that to be the case so i know we, we said a lot we kind of went over a bit but i hope these are helpful tips considerations and uh, next steps if you're ever in a position where you're giving a pip and an employee says I, 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 not yet i've got a medical condition if you are finding yourself in that in that environment uh, feel free to reach out to us at jumpstart-hr.com and we'll be more than glad to help you through that uh, Summer, you have any, any party thoughts? I think it was a great episode and we're ready to wrap it up. So thanks everybody for joining us and make sure you check us out next week for new content. That's right. That's right. Check us out next week. Uh, you can check out our YouTube page or Jumpstart HR YouTube page and our growing list of episodes on our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, see you later. Thanks everyone. <laughs>